what's up everybody welcome to episode three of pizza at the pagoda oh my goodness we had an absolutely epic indianapolis 500 i don't know where how we're gonna squeeze this into 90 minutes ish but we have a a ton to talk about here joined by as always mike mccullen Tony Patty, who wasn't here to defend himself a week ago. Jason Owens is joining us because, well, he can. And James Watson. And James was at the race this weekend. We are going to do a, uh, we'll say a special recap of, I believe, a 500 virgin's first time. He's going to tell us every bit about what his first experience is like. But first, we got to start off with, as always, um, we'll go to Jason because he's the FNG. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I have a nice New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc um, in honor of our New Zealander, who's going to hopefully be the rookie of the year that I'm sure we'll touch on later tonight. <sighs> yeah, he he already is going hoity-toity. Tony, save us from from Jason, please. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Hofbrauhaus uh, Hefeweiss. A Hefeweiss. All right. Well, at least Hefeweiss. We're trending in the right direction. If Mike McCullen is not drinking something that resembles a spaghetti, I'm going to be really disappointed. (laughs) I'm not. I'm drinking a pint of homebrew because I've got kegs that I need to finish before I move. Oh, I, I can get behind that. All the home hey, Mike, brew. send me your address. I'll come help. <laughs> yeah, all the homebrew you can guzzle down. Beautiful. All right, Mr. Watson, I'm assuming you're not hungover. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, the rest of my full throttle energy drink, because even though I'm not hungover, I'm still a dead man walking because I've watched... I watched more, I attended more races this weekend than I have hours slept. So, yeah, I'm still <laughs> trying to get them amongst the living, just even still. Oh, that's beautiful. That is absolutely, there is no better way to live life than going to more races than hours you've slept. That is the way to do it, sir. Well done. I have, according to the can, a fine Pilsner beer brewed with the highest quality ingredients using choice hops from the Pacific Northwest as well as Noble Sachs hops to deliver more taste, aroma, and color with only 96 calories per 12 ounces. I have Miller Lite in my hands, a fine Pilsner beer, if the can says so. I'm sort of debating whether that's actually true or not, but. I mean, it's the truth in beer. advertising is a thing, right? There's, there's, there's plenty of them in front of me. So, I, I think this is more about quantity and not quality. Uh, so, okay, boys, yeah, uh, let's let's do this. Let's recap our picks from one week ago, because there will be plenty of shit to be talked. Uh, James, your Tony Patty of the week. Since Tony picked, uh, wait, I forget who Tony picked. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, I believe, somebody that was not entered in the race in the GP at Indy. That's who Tony picked as his uh, anchovy of the week. 
Uh, so Ferrucci, pick Ferrucci. Oh yes, Ferrucci. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. So the Tony Patty of the week, you had James as Scott McLaughlin. Mike, you had Simon Pagano. I will absolutely lay claim to the winner here and say Alexander Rossi was my turd of the week. What in the hell happened to Alexander Rossi? I mean, I get there was an issue on pit road. He was nowhere to be found all day. Scott Dixon made his lap up. Alexander Rossi was just gone. He yeah. got screwed again on the on the pit stop that uh, that Dixon, uh, the yellow that Dixon got his lap back on. Rossi missed out there too. He is the unluckiest man in IndyCar. If Scott Dixon is the luckiest man in IndyCar, Alexander Rossi is one hundred percent the unluckiest man in IndyCar right now. You make your own luck in IndyCar for the most part, and I I think we'll touch on it later. But I don't think Andretti is. Uh, as a whole, making any good luck for their drivers right now. I'd like uh, yeah. to interject real quick on the yes. whole thing with the, like, can we, can we talk about at some point this, this afternoon, uh, why it feels like pit crews and IndyCar do not like, uh, in, in just comparison to F1, they are not as tuned as like a formula one pit crew but i feel like that they have every ounce of time to do the same work do you know what i mean like yeah we know it's not going to be a sub two second pit stop but can we like understand like why i i feel like we we have more mishaps in the pits in indycar than we ever do in formula one i, I mean i don't think Terry botas would agree with that after a week <laughs> ago but <laughs> You do you do make a good point though, Tony, because I can count on uh maybe one hand in the last five years we've seen a, a car leave a F1 pit stop with the wheel unfastened, but I can count on both hands within the last two years of examples in any car where the car leaves without the wheel fastened. Oh, so you've got twenty guys. Yeah, doing a pit stop versus six. You, you know, and but it, it's six now and it was five. So just within the 24 core teams, that's an extra 20% over the wall crew that you have to have. Then you add an extra um, anywhere. I mean, we had a couple guys go home, but you're looking at an extra like 50 to 60 individuals to run over the wall crew during the month of May that aren't series regulars. So there is a dilution in the talent pool there just from the expansion to 33 cars. Plus this year you have the over extra last year and this year you have the extra over the wall uh, team member for the arrow screen. Like there's probably some hangover there that's just now starting to get um, ironed out. I I think that's kind of fair to say because in the pre-race, they did a feature on Simona Di Silvestro's pit crew and Beth Peretta was talking about the fact that the entire, every one of the girls on that crew was basically pickup. They did auditions. They did the whole thing to figure out who was going to go where and all that stuff. But they were coming in between 4 and 4.30 in the morning to practice pit stops for a couple hours before they went to their regular jobs, worked all day, and then went back to the shop to practice pit stops again. 
that's not the easy way to do things, not compared to the Penske's and Ganassi's of the world. It just makes me feel like the, the pit crew for these bigger teams, I don't say don't care as much or they don't mind that they screw up so much, but like it happens way too often for it to not be like, this, this is a finely tuned dance. Like, and you have so much time between races to choreograph and figure out okay well jimmy is not doing so hot on the uh on the rear wheel maybe we should move jimmy to uh you know arrow screen for a race or two and put somebody else there and see if we get a better result but i feel like we're we're we're, we're seeing so much so much more incidents in the pits based on crew performance and that has such an impact on drivers races yeah, I mean, look at Ray Hall's race, for example, and, and <laughs> I'm not going to, I think it's unfair to immediately categorize that as an issue with the left rear uh, wheel gun guy. Um, I think we'd have to actually go chat with the team and figure out, you know, was the jack drop too early? What was the reasoning there? But Ray Hall went from being the only guy that could make it on one stop from there to out of the race because of a pit crew mistake. Yeah, and that's something that when you consider the fact that they're doing this in seven seconds, you don't have, there's no time window for these pit crew members to make a tiny mistake, let alone the the kind of Valtteri Botas mistake in F1 or I missed a lug nut on the NASCAR side. That can't happen in IndyCar. So what you're really talking about is your ability, your margin for error is almost nil when you're on the pit lane side of things. 100%. And I know this is probably blasphemy to bring up, but how much are cup pit stops going to change next year with the single lug wheels? Like probably <laughs> that's an off season topic, but um, that's I'm so freaking excited. Table. <laughs> there, there's something to be said for it that is the one of the big things and and like you said jason that may be an off-season topic but looking back at the race in reality the entirety of this year's 500 was decided on or or at least structured to be decided based on issues on pit road if Stefan Wilson doesn't spin on his first entry to pit road, we have a different outcome to the race. If Simona Di Silvestro doesn't have her issues getting on pit road, we potentially have a different race. If, you know, all the ifs that come with getting on and off of pit road don't happen, we have a fairly formulaic Indy 500. And instead, we right. got an I mean, absolute classic were, because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Every our, single incident was related pit to Pit Road. Yeah. Which actually, can we talk about that for a second? Like, for the depth of talent in this field for 33 drivers to have zero on track incidents or impacts or collisions that were not related to a pit road mishap, 
that's probably the highest driver performance in any single Indy 500 uh, since yes. the green flag okay. dropped over Can, 100 years ago. Let's, let's recycle this race back a little bit because we may have gotten ahead of ourselves. 11 rows of three turned into about eight rows of oh as they were coming to the green. Mm-hmm. They were four wide going into turn one at the race start. It was as insane as we would have expected the tightest field in Indy 500 history to be. And oh my God, was the show on from there. Yeah, no, it was super exciting at the start. I was I was on the edge of my couch. I, my fiance can tell you I almost fell off the couch watching the green flag fly. I, let, let's go to James here, because James, you had an almost front row seat to this. Uh, what was the start of the race like as a guy who's never seen it from the grandstands? It was incredible watching them grid up and you see them three wide and that's when it really slaps you in the face it's like oh my god i'm here witnessing the greatest race in the world in person and the the seats we had were incredible like midway up entry of turn four so we could see all of turn three all of turn four and we had two jumbotrons in our face i could not think of any better seats than where we were i I didn't really get to see much of the all the craziness entering the turn one but just watching them go through turn four and realizing oh my god here we go it's just (laughs) unreal i goosebumps moment for sure and I mean, the race played out, it was it was a very intriguing race to watch because from the drop of the green flag, we were in a scenario of, okay, who's going to pit first? We started to see the initial pit stops, and then the place goes absolutely apeshit when Connor Daly takes the lead. Yeah, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, I I love Connor and I know he has a following, but I was just not expecting the place to erupt like that. Like it felt like I was at Talladega watching Dale Jr. take the lead. Everyone went nuts. There's not many stories better than local co- local kid does good, right? Like <laughs> it, it will sell a lot of papers, right? And especially someone like Connor, everyone knows how hard he's worked to get where he is. He's just completely pulled himself up by his bootstraps and just putting in in all this work to get to a really good spot. Like he's full time in IndyCar now, running with Ed Carpenter at the Indy 500, one of consistently one of the fastest teams at Indy. And he he showed it. He absolutely showed that he was worth that ride because he, he he took that lead. And yeah, he was keeping Renus back pretty well. Uh, yes, my we were doing our picks and and maybe placing a wager for everybody in the family. And my six year old wanted Mullet Man, 
it, there is something to be said for the marketability of Connor Daly is very, very good for the IndyCar series because the kid's a badass and about as personable of a human as you could find. So with that, we'll, we'll start to cycle through things here. First caution of the race comes out when Stefan Wilson, I'm gutted for the kid watching Stefan Wilson have his issue getting onto pit road. But from there, it seemed like all hell breaks loose. You're in the middle of a sequence of green flag pit stops. You have guys like Dixon, who should have been at the front all day, now relegated to wherever he was going to fall in line after the pit stop. Then the engine quits because he's, he's out of fuel. Rossi's out of fuel. The entire 500 was turned on its head very, very early on in this race. I completely agree. And Chris, I don't know if anybody here has a similar feeling, but I thought IndyCar race control was overly lenient with regards to getting those guys in their emergency service and giving extra laps. That caution should not have taken nine or 10 laps to get back to green like it did. I, I can agree with that in a very big way. I, I would have to go back and rewatch the race, but the car, the, the track safety crew that was going to be working Stefan Wilson's car was coming between turn four and the entrance to pit road. So the run was not that far for those guys to get there. And then you factor in how long it took them to get his car off the pit area. I don't know if there was an issue with getting him hooked up to the tow trucks based on where he was positioned or whatever it was, that caution seemed exceedingly long. And that might be putting it mildly. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really I didn't really even notice it was that long. I was too shocked at what I was seeing with the fact that Scott was going a lap down because of the fuel issue to even realize that at, we had been under caution for a decent amount of the race. I just couldn't believe that Scott's chances of winning were taking such a big hit right then and there. It was a 20-minute caution. I'm going back and look at the telemetry. It was a 20-minute caution wow. for a car that was in the pit road. Jesus. So I the caution, the... Yellow was thrown at one ten and one thirty. The track was the green flag was shown again. So twenty minutes, roughly ten laps. Yeah, that's a long time to clean a car that is arguably in the pit lane. It, it, so I I don't think this occurred, but IndyCar totally opens themselves up to criticism or potential questioning of individuals are saying who are you giving scott dixon uh extra time to get his fuel issue worked out i don't think that happened i just think that it was a comedy of errors and then um what i don't recall because i wasn't at the track was whether or not they pulled the sweepers out and swept during that time period as well so 
there was a lot going on, but I think we can all agree it should have been a lot less than 20 minutes. I, I, I will say IndyCar is known for pulling the sweepers out borderline unnecessarily to get things cleaned up. They've done that at Pocono where we're going to sweep the entire two and a half miles. For what? Let's go. It's time to go back to green already. I, I understand the logic of we can't have carbon bits laying around the racetrack, but the race had been clean to that point. There were no major, even minor contacts anywhere. The field was incredibly clean until Stefan Wilson hit the, I guess, outside pit wall. It, it sort of almost leads me to the question of, we saw multiple incidents on pit road where the tail end of the field of 33, whoever it was at the top end of pit road closest to turn four, those pit crews were placed in peril several times over the course of this race. Does Indy need to widen the pit road or extend the length back towards turn four? Extend the breaking point or extend the the pit the the pit lane speed point back farther because it's in there it's deep in there you saw that issue with McLaughlin coming in too hot and on the brakes on the brakes I think that's when he got his speeding penalty and then he literally shot into pits and we were lucky that there were no cars there but he was directly facing down pit crews at that point so uh, yeah, yeah Ryan I mean, Ryan maybe, Hunter Ray Ryan Hunter Ray was still over the pit speed limit going through the Peretta Autosports pit. Yeah, maybe it's move the pit lane speed limit zone back farther because those guys were, you know, they're, they're coming in hot. You've got guys, you know, locking up, sliding. Once you're sliding, you are not in control of the car. We are lucky that we did not see any contact. I think, uh, which one was it? The Stefan Wilson one where they damn near took out one of Will Powers guys. Yeah. And it's interesting, but then it also begs the question at what point, like how far back can you move it without the extending the braking zone back actually into the path of traffic off of turn four? Like, is there a, an issue with, if you take the pit speed line all the way back to where the attenuator starts, um, does it then imperil drivers leaving four and other driving's drivers immediately hopping on the binders to get down to pit road speed? I don't know. I don't have the good answer, but they really need to look at that from a pit crew safety perspective because this is the second year in a row where we've seen incidents that could have or did imperil pit crew at that end of pit road. I I, I would even say to not go overly dramatic here but is this not something that jackie stewart has been screaming for since i don't know the 1970s that indy needs to do something about the pit in on the attenuator yeah chris it's it, like it, it's one of the miracles of that place that nobody has lost their life on the attenuator full stop like it's I don't know. And not 
crash last year didn't result in any changes either. No, and that was brutal. It's almost disheartening to know that a racetrack that has, especially in the Tony George era, when he was running the racetrack, they were all about safety. And how do we move things forward? And what we still have is an ugly pit attenuator, a pit wall between the front stretch and the pit road that's only about a meter high. I think it's three foot, might be a little less than that. We're staring down a scenario where these drivers are blocking each other to the inside pit wall with not much separating them from all of the fuel tanks that are on the ugly side of pit road. That's but, a sobering thought when you get right down to it. But devil's advocate, how much can you change at the speedway without fundamentally altering the speedway and the tradition of the speedway. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm against safety in any way, shape, or form. I've always thought that IndyCar needs to do even more with, with safety in some places, but there's always going to be that contingent that says, hey, but but what about tradition? What about the history of this place? So IndyCar's got a fine line to play with. Yeah, there's more that we can do here without pissing off the purists. Also, those, those are some loud voices. Yeah, and also, what exactly would you propose to adjust pit road entry in the wall? Because how would you be able to extend the pit wall and change where the attenuator is without backing it up into a worse spot? Uh, okay, I don't really here's, think here's, here's the answer to that question. Put a full-size catch fence on the pit wall that separates the racetrack from the pit area and require all cars to enter off of turn three. I don't know how much I'm in potentially in favor of that, but there's a warm up lane, a, a pit road access lane, whatever you want to call it in turns three and four that went entirely unused on Sunday afternoon. Yep. Well, you say that Chris, but can you, can you put that kind of extension of the pit wall and still maintain turn one for the IMS road course? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, make any structural changes. All I'm saying is you could theoretically require the cars to enter pit lane from turn three. If you don't enter in turn three, you cannot pit without penalty of some sort. And you put the catch fence up like they did for the GP years ago. Yeah. Where you just put the catch fence up along the pit wall. I, that's the easy but then answer that to change things. things with, right, but that doesn't actually change anything with Pickett's right last year. He, he wasn't pitting. He just had contact off four and ended up in the attenuator. Um, well, so and that's, that like, that's the issue is you have Murphy's law of unintended consequences is going to come back and bite you really, really hard. 
Uh, all I can think about is the Lion Dyke wreck in the IROC race. Picture that wreck happening with a car entering pit road that's come in at turn three. You have a really, really bad situation on your hands. There, there's no way to make pit entry completely safe. I guess it's kind of what I'm getting at. So let's turn our attention to the second half of the race here because the Dixon incident was early. Everything was pretty formulaic until we get to Graham Ray Hall having an issue with his pit stop. I, my understanding of things was once, once the nut was on the wheel lug, it could not that tire could not come off. The incident that Graham Ray Hall had was scarily similar to what Jeff Andretti had in 1992. Graham just hit at a slightly different angle. Well, not only that, what's terrifying about Graham's incident is he went across the track at turn two in front of a field at speed. Yes. I, I don't think the comparison that was made on the broadcast to Alex Zanardi's wreck in 2001 was wholly inaccurate. I'm not able to disagree because if that wheel lug comes off half a second or one second later, there were cars coming through there at full song and that would have not ended well for either driver. Yeah, it, it, it kind of goes to show the scariness of what open wheel racing is. And even with the error screen and the halo, it, Connor Daly never encountered that loose tire against his error screen or halo. But what it doesn't change is the fact that there were people in the infield that did, that should have encountered a flying tire the speedway was very very lucky yeah. that there were no fans in the turn two mounds yesterday well chris i think the tire actually did not make it over i saw a shot on the rewatch of the cast that showed it short of the uh the catch fence for the inside of the track so uh, hopefully the speedway will actually come out and talk about that but at that point, literally, there's no safety device at that point that will keep that wheel within the boundaries of the track, given the fact that if you don't put the lug on, the tethers can't work. Yeah, that wheel was going where that wheel wanted to go. And, yeah, it was not a great situation. It, so, And we're luckier that it didn't cause more incident than just Connor's busted up wing, which ruined his race and his day. But I, I know. Yeah. I just want to like poor Connor has some of the, the first thing I thought of was that, that bad luck Brian meme where he put his own face on it because of all the dumb luck to happen to poor Connor that he just comes out and hits a random flying tire with arguably the best car all day. It's it's like, I swear to God, Connor is cursed sometimes when you look at 
some of the races he's had and the results when he should have been a lot higher. Uh, yeah, I I'm trying to pull up Connor's Twitter account here and all, but his tweet basically was, or or his comments on social media were, we led the most laps at the Indy 500. It was everything I could have wanted without the win. And I, you have to feel gutted for the kid because that may have been his best shot. Hopefully Ed keeps him around for a couple of more seasons and gets him a full season ride. But how many more times is Connor Daly going to have a realistic shot to win the Indy 500? I'm actually going to flip that question on its head and say, how many more years does Ed run all of the ovals outside of the 500? Because from my perspective, and I love Ed Carpenter racing, and I know we don't have it on video, but I've got front wing, his 2018 car on the wall behind me. I don't know how many more times Ed is going to run all the ovals as a Indy only. And at that point, you're really definitely going to need another either full season driver or somebody to and then have Ed in the third car at Indy versus Connor. So I thought Connor showed yesterday exactly what he can do in top flight equipment. And I see no reason for him not to get a good ride in Indy for the foreseeable future. I, it's, it's funny that you say that because my thought going into yesterday's race was Ryan Hunter Ray needed to do some pretty spectacular things. And he didn't do the spectacular. He did enough maybe to keep his ride for another year. How incredible of a team of an all-American Captain America bald eagles pounding on your chest is Ed Carpenter, Ryan Hunter, Ray, and Connor Daly showing up at the Speedway every year. But then where does VK go? I think so tinfoil hat there's no way ed can afford to keep vk in in the coming years he's going to be a replacement driver at penske within the next three years he's going to take either pagano's or power seat that's my earnest belief i how much is a swap of vk for ryan hunter ray worth to ed carpenter racing in cash value what depends on does uh, Captain America come with the international DHL sponsorship? Good question. I think you know, Ed somebody, would run him one way or the other. I totally agree. You know, somebody told me the other day, and it was kind of like my perfect summary for Ryan Hunter Ray, was, um, you know, I heard a lot about this Ryan Hunter Ray guy. I, I don't know what's so special about him. Like, he's heard Ryan Hunter Ray so many times. Like, he's heard the name. He can recognize the car. He's like, what's the big deal about the guy? Because he doesn't win races. Uh, I don't When was the last time? What was his top finish in the 500? Well, he won Ever? a handful of years ago. He won it. He's right. an Indy 500 so, champion. So, a couple of years ago. Okay. So, Indy 500. So, I guess. So, I guess the question here is, is that 
how often do you need to be winning races and how often do you need to be like top five in the 500 to be able to keep your seat? Well, and Andretti, uh, I think uh, it depends on what check you bring. Uh, yeah, I was More just so about to say that's a, that's a very, very interesting question because when you look at what the, the Penske team does, Roger Penske eats, sleeps, and breathes the Indy 500. There's a reason he bought the racetrack. You look at Simon Pagano. He's now three years removed from an Indy 500 win. Uh, Will Power is a 30th place finisher in this year's Indy 500. Let's let's not ignore the fact that Roger Penske has fired national champion drivers before because they weren't in contention at the 500. Not only that, we need to have a serious conversation about Joseph New. I thought I saw a stat on the broadcast that no Penske driver had made it to their sixth season with Penske if they had not won the Indy 500. Well, I think this was Newgarden's fifth season with Penske, uh, and he didn't win. So the tea leaves tend to indicate here that we're going to see some serious upheaval in the uh, Team Penske driver lineup over the next two seasons. Well, I think that brings us to a, a point that we should probably discuss at some point is what do championships in IndyCar mean versus the 500 because on the other side Joseph Newgarden in five years with Penske's got two championships a second in the championship and he's sitting in sixth in points right now six races into the season is that worth nothing versus winning a 500 uh okay I'll I'll say it this way Roger Penske is spectacularly good at the B2B you're not going to let Joseph Newgarden walk away. But at some point, you have to have a realistic conversation of, you better get your shit together here, bud, because we win Indy 500. You can say this guy is a six-time IndyCar champion. I mean, I'll pick on Scott Dixon here. Scott Dixon has six IndyCar championships. How do you introduce him? Indianapolis 500 champion and six-time right. IndyCar champ. Uh, it comes back to what Pagano said in the Chevy uh, media availability, where he said, look, I don't care about the championship. All I want to do is win this race. But is, is that a bad thing for the series when drivers don't care about the championship and only care about one race? And I don't, you know, you've got to probably take that with a bit of exaggeration. Because it was the day of the race, right? Yeah, finishing the 500 yeah. and, and finishing third and, you know, being a past winner and, and all that that goes with it. But it's, it's a serious conversation of does drivers saying and even, ver even vocalizing that the championship doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is this one race. Does that devalue being Can the... Can we, not, the can we not ignore the fact that Pagano ran out to Elio Castro Neves on the front straightaway, 
immediately after the 500 and say, you just bought me five more years. Right. He, he actually said 10 years on the media availability. He said, because he won this at his age, I have 10 more shots to win this deal. That's, I, I, I mean, taking that at face value and having 24 hours of 2020 hindsight on that, that is an incredibly prescient statement, potentially, where a driver who knows that he may or may not be at Penske for the next couple of years could have any one-off ride that he wants for the next five to 10 years to keep making cracks at this thing, similar to, I mean, we haven't even addressed it on, on the, the call. How this was, when was the last time we had a one-off victory? It was Weldon 10 years ago, right? Like this was a first, basically the first entry for this car this month on an oval. It is the second car of a team looking to expand. They have a technical alliance with somebody that has a strong damper program but they are a one plus car team and they have never shown race winning pace with their primary car. Like th we, we haven't even really talked about this and I don't even think we're taking a great historical lens at the fact that Elio won in Mike Shank's second car as a historically improbable and <laughs> incredibly amazing thing that just happened 24 hours ago. Uh, okay, and we are we are 37. James, I'm going to come to you in a second here. We are 37 minutes into the show, and we have just said the race winner's name for the first time. I mean, to be are, fair, are you are you shitting me? Podcast, you know. To be yeah. fair, I don't think you have to worry about spoiler alerts if you're listening. No, to no, a but Monday I'm just morning. I'm I'm talking about the fact that we have we are dissecting this race to the nth degree and it's taken us 37 minutes to say the fact that Elio Castro Neves is one of four four-time winners four. of the 500. We He's watched history. There are more men that have walked on the moon than have won the Indianapolis 500 four times and it took us a damn half hour to get to the guy's name. <laughs> Yes. Elio at least once. We've mentioned his first name. Maybe we're a little too close to the deal as fans. <laughs> I mean, like we're we're psychos. We're absolutely deranged. The fact that I won't deny that. <laughs> oh, that's an absolute fact. I can can we kind of circle the wagons back here to we witnessed if for the Second time in my lifetime, a four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. And a guy who, if you've got half a brain cell, you're hiring for next season to run the Indy 500 for you. Could we see a five-time well, winner? Hires him to run his second car full-time. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I don't really figure how you couldn't consider Helio to, to go back to full-time racing. And this was one of the thoughts that crossed my mind when he won is that how happy I was 
that he was able to prove everyone wrong because when Roger first dropped him from full-time competition after what was it 2017 the the whole time I'm thinking I'm like that's a bad decision he he still got it he still got enough in the tank to make a full-time run and still be competitive and so I was just glad to watch Helio win it and just kind of stick it in Roger's face and go hey I knew I still had it. This Did proves anyone see Rogers. Sorry, sorry, James. Didn't mean to cut you off there. Anyone see Rogers' face at the victory celebration? He just <laughs> looked annoyed. <laughs> the entire time, he looked like somebody had kicked his dog. He looked incredibly annoyed the entire time, and I'm sure it wasn't helping that Elliot was doing nothing. That IMS and the media wanted. <laughs> yes, I, and it was I, fantastic. I had that discussion. Like, I bet there's some. I bet I, there's some bean counter at NBC losing their minds. I, that he won't be interviewed yet. Mm. I I had that discussion <laughs> with. We had the whole family over. The whole house was decorated. I, I mean, literally, a, a good friend of mine is a priest who was celebrating his 40th ordination, and I didn't go to it. Because it was the 500 day. And I said, I'm looking at it, I'm going, somebody at IMS is absolutely losing their shit that Elio is not doing the things you're supposed to do when you win the 500. Even the whole Spider Man deal. Cool. We got you there, bud. And then he starts running the racetrack. He was, he was having a blast. There is no better 500 winner that we could have gotten at the world's greatest sporting event with fans in more than a year than Elio Castro Neves. The guy well, is the, clean, the way that, yeah. Everything the about the that was just cool. And, yeah. The way the drivers congratulate him. I thought Mike Shank was going to run in front of can we just talk about what will said to him because we talked about what pagino will's comments were were even great because he just walked up and went you're a legend man you're an absolute legend and then he was like i was racking my brain who was the 06? I couldn't figure out who the 06 was. And he just picked the whole conversation. And it, it just warmed my heart as a Will fan and as someone who always admired Helio. Because, like, he, obviously you all know how I feel about Will, but Helio was the one that got me into IndyCar as a kiddo. I, I watched him on Dancing with the Stars when I was 10 years old, and this little NASCAR-centric kid was like, hey, I think I want to check out IndyCar. God, do I, I prob- feel I don't old. know. Okay. Now, but speaking to what James said about the younger generation who might only know him from Dancing with the Stars and Forward, I can remember an Elio Castro Neves sitting in a courtroom because he probably should be doing 20 years for tax evasion. Yeah. He got the ride yeah. with Penske because of Greg Moore's passing. And literally all they did was white out the name and put in Helio Castroneves. 
he had none of the financials set up. He was not ready for what was about to come to him. And eventually that world came crashing down. I would imagine that was probably part of why Roger let him go because it's just, it's not Penske perfect. And the guy goes out and ran the perfect race. There was never a lockup coming into pit road. It was, there was never anything close to Elio Castro Neves making a mistake yesterday. And let's, can we not negate the fact he won the fastest 500 ever? And he did it with the top five. The top five was within what one second of each other at the start finish line. Yeah. Yeah. And he played below like a fiddle those last 10 laps. (laughs) Like it it, it was the cagey veteran versus the hungry young driver. And he absolutely played it to perfection. I haven't listened to the in car. But I'm sure he knew where the traffic was, and he knew exactly when to pounce with two to go to make that pass that Polo wasn't going to have a chance to get back at him. And Polo, like, you guys know, I've been saying since the second race of the season that Polo's my pick for the championship this year, and I put money on him in the race. But watching those last 10 laps, there was no, there was zero doubt in my mind that Castro Nevis was going to win that race with 10 to go with the way he was playing the two young guys in the uh he was he was playing shadow games with them with the arrow and it was incredible to watch from you know the casual fan will think okay wow you know he caught him he got there he made a pass with two to go but knowledgeable indycar fans will go back and watch that last 10 laps and elio put on an absolute technician's mastery performance of managing the arrow, managing the gap, and making the move at the exact right time where he could not get past again. It was phenomenal to watch. Yeah, because the interesting about it was with the way the conditions were and how the cars were handling, it really felt like we were watching the DW12 back on the track. The the way they were driving with each other and the lead changes they were making, I felt like I was watching a 500 from 2012, 2013, 2014. And so I immediately got those strategies back in my head. And the the funny thing was is that when Helio took the lead back with seven to go, I immediately turned to to my friend Patrick, our colleague at here at NRN, and went, I think he passed him too early. And then the relief I had when Polo passed him back with five to go, I knew how it was stacking up. I'm like, if he gets him with two laps to go, the race is over. Because I knew, and of course, I'm sure Helio knew that it takes like three laps to set a pass back up in that scenario. So the moment Elio took the lead with two laps to go, I'm like, there it is. That's that's the winning move. This race is over. And it sure played out that way. Of course, a little bit of help from the lap traffic, but even still, I don't think uh, I Alex was, was going to be able to. My mom was bouncing off the walls over here 
just jumping around going old guys rule because that's <laughs> what we saw. We got to see the old guys make the young kids look silly and we can't ignore the big picture of things here either. As cool as it was for Elio Castro Neves to win the Indy 500, he's nowhere to be found in points. Alex Pillow has a 36-point lead over Scott Dixon, making Jason look like an absolute savant. Eighth place Graham Rahal mm. is 100 points back. Game over. We're down to a maybe five-driver run to the finish here. And can we not totally ignore the fact that Elio is now ahead of Alexander Rossi in points? Oh, yeah. See, Oof. when he made that Maybe. comment, when he was talking to media, something about like, oh, this old guy's really showed how the young is like, if you didn't win an Indy 500 right now, I'd have smacked you in your face. <laughs> <laughs> you got to understand that's great. You know, he really, it was a great race. It was a really good show that, you know, this old dog still has some new tricks. But don't don't be don't be thinking that the the revolution isn't coming. This field of young guns still outpoints majority of the old guys. Don't think it's not. I, you know coming. what? Don't I'm think that I'm, you're safe. okay. Here's here's your current IndyCar point standings. Alex Pillow at two forty eight. Scott Dixon is second in points, thirty six back at two twelve. Pato Award. Third at 211. Simon Pagino fourth at 201. Renus VK fifth at 191. Joseph Newgarden sixth at 181. We're talking about a, a series that is going to be an absolute dogfight to the finish. The crazy thing is, though, is that we either have, depending on what we do for the backfill, we either have 10 or 11 events left. So there's still a lot of points out there if somebody goes on an absolute barn burner. Um, but right now, it's Pillow and Dixon's championship at this point. You think so? You don't think Award has got the, is close enough to be fighting third for that, for that fight? Maybe I, I'm just not sold on Aaron McLaren over the long haul. Um, from a you know a not necessarily reliability—that's the right word—but from a persistence and you know racking up consistent finishes week to week, I think they're going to drop at least one or two races. It's going to take them out of contention. I mean, to flip that point, I'm the same could be said about the ten car. I mean. Alex is driving an absolutely amazing season right now, but when was the last time the 10 car was really all that good? When was the last time any Ganassi car outside of Scott was really that good? I mean, it's easy to look and go, hey, it's a Ganassi car, but outside of Scott, they've been fairly mediocre. So my perspective on that, though, Team? Is that the driver? Do they finally have a team to match the driver? I've always thought the curse of the 10 car was a one of those deals where 
you just have a series of improbable and random events that occur. And so it's like, oh, it's the curse of the tin car. The tin car is cursed. I think they have a driver to match the machine that is Chip Ganassi Racing. And I don't think we always give... Scott Dixon is so good that I think that sometimes we don't give the Chip Ganassi organization the credit they deserve for what they put on track. Here, here's 100%. my take on that. Alex Palou is potentially a Scott Dixon 1.5 to 2.0. I look at Pato Award, Renus VK, and I see a guy that needs two wheelbarrows to carry his manhood around with him. It, it's Alex 2.0 and Alex. Uh, that's exactly it. Alex Palou. It seems like the kid who's going to show up every week and just be really flipping good every week. No discussion. No, the kid's just going to be good every week. Pato, Renus, even New Garden for that matter. Sometimes they're going to take a couple of wheelbarrows to carry their balls around for them. But on other weeks, they're just not going to be there. Palou seems like the kid who will show up every week and do what Chip does and go, I like winners. And Palou's going to be top three every week for the next 20 years. And that is really, really if New scary. Garden didn't have his, if Newgarden didn't have his brain fart this year at Barber, he'd be higher too. I think we're, he's artificially low because of his absolute stupid move at Barber. So I, I wouldn't count him out just yet. I think he's going to be in the conversation towards, towards the end of the season. He always turns it on second half anyways. Heard a with where Andretti's at right now, I think Hurt is not in the championship talk unless Andretti has a drastic turnaround. But yeah, Polo Dixon Award, New Garden, I think are probably going to be our our four contenders at Long Beach. Did anybody uh, else feel like at the last few laps that they wanted um, Rosenquist to, well, you know, slow down enough to maybe take Pags out of the race? <laughs> Just a little bit. I okay. <laughs> I I had a fair bit of money riding on Ed Carpenter because I figured this was the year that Ed was going to have the shot. I it, it guts me that he finished fifth. Ultimately, is that Chris, probably where they should with a two second longer pit stop to put him back in traffic? Yes, they don't jam the gun and get that wheel back on lose 20 spots of track position uh, on that first round of pit stops we may be talking about ed carpenter's first 500 win we we were discussing i'm talking to i had my six-year-old and my 10-year-old with me watching pre-race and i said now here's who you're gonna hear the loud cheers for elio's gonna get a cheer and simona's gonna get a big cheer and Wait till you hear the cheer when they say Ed Carpenter's name. They would have burned the city of Indianapolis down yesterday if Ed Carpenter won the 500. And they got about as close as as that crowd could have wanted in Elio winning. But 
it's almost like, what does Ed have to do to get the win? Does he got to like had won the 500? My ass would have driven from Cincinnati to be part of that after party. <laughs> I will say this. Be I, cons- I considered yeah. driving out for the after party with Mike Shank because yeah. rumor has it Mike Shank has had a separate bank account waiting for his Indy 500 win. And I'm pretty sure he blew every penny of it last night. Oh, all I know is that the fires would still be burning in the Coke lot. Had <laughs> I, can, can we talk a little bit about Mike Shank here? I, this is a guy who his dream has been Indianapolis. He is as 500 as... Ed Carpenter, Ryan Hunter Ray, all of these American guys. Mike Shank is, I'll even say, a modern day John Menard. His world revolves around yeah. the Indy 500. And the guy got a win absolutely in his prime. I, I, I don't, I guarantee you the party hasn't finished yet for Mike Shank. I mean, what he? Where did he get his start? He ran, didn't he run run um, in that ninety six ninety seven IRL season? Didn't he actually run a race? Was it Vegas where he drove? I mean, this is a guy that has indie car open wheel racing in his veins, in his blood. It's what he has dreamed about and has used. Um, and I don't want to say he's used his sports car program in a like in a negative connotation because he is actually he's done wonderful things on the sports car side of the house and but has also used that to leverage from a technical, a driver stable and a in-house, you know, engineering talent perspective, his IndyCar program. I mean, he had a deal to run in 2012 through as he said, all right, let me go back to work put together his multiple sports car programs, um, you know, has run GT3, now has the Acura in-house. It, this is a guy that will run anything that he can run a pay driver in to make sure that he can put a car on track at Indy when it counts, and he got his win. <laughs> that is a huge story, and I don't think we're giving that enough credit either. I, this is it, a guy that has done anything he could to win the Indy 500 and pulled it off. Yes, he won, excuse me, he ran, competed in the 1997 Las Vegas 500K at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. This is a guy who, like, I will half-jokingly say I would give my left nut to win the Indy 500 in some capacity. This is a guy who actually was willing to do it. When you think about how dangerous those 96, 97 indie cars were, and and that was the start of Meyer Shank Racing as we know it today. Jim Meyer and all the money that Sirius XM brings with it. And can we not forget here the Liberty Media money that comes with that? We're talking about this opening so many doors in ways that we may not even be thinking about yet. Yeah, I read an article today. I don't Okay, pardon me. I, I don't think it was racer. Where they're already speculating that 
Elio is going to run full season next year and then step aside. And that if Braden Eves has strong years this year and next year, would move up into Mike Shank's second car under the tutelage of Jack Harvey in 2023. And it absolutely, like, if you 26 hours ago tried to write that article, (laughs) and now we're already anointing this as one of the preeminent car teams in IndyCar, it's fascinating what one race afternoon can do. The Jack Does this change anything? Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. So, does this change anything for Meyer Shank and the Andretti Alliance? Because now, and if you go back to the controversy between Furniture Row and Joe Gibbs over on the NASCAR side when the 78 program started doing better than the Joe Gibbs programs, does Andretti look at this technical alliance and go, no more? Nope, you're better than us. Not going to happen. Yeah, Mike Schenk, it, Mike Schenk's a super smart guy. I guarantee he's already figuring out what to have a <laughs> program if Andretti Autosport pulls the plug on the technical lines. And I, I think at this point, he's got to be looking at it as a contingency because Andretti's probably going, yeah, no, they're better than us now. That's not going to fly. I, let's Let's not oversell this in some respects you had what the real (laughs) the real world driver jack harvey is uh currently sitting well down in points he's currently 13th rossi is behind him hunter ray is behind him maybe qualify that though chris he's 13th with a wheel gun and flat tire at the gp of indy with an Andretti supplied uh, wheel bearing on the rear that caught fire in Texas. Yep. Like there is a there is an alternate scenario. Neither of those things happen where we're talking about Jack Harvey in that fifth or sixth spot in points right now. Um, but plus, heck, he ran phenomenally in St. Pete and had a small issue on a pit stop. So again, pit stops, you know, theme of the night, but. We're t- like this is a team that, despite the points performance, has performed significantly higher on the track. And I don't know. Is it time to start asking? Is the Andretti actually a detractor from Mike Shake Racing? Wow, that's that's, that's um, a question that I never thought we'd ask. Considering, yeah, okay, good point. Let's let's kind of couch this shots fired with Jack Harvey finished 18th at the Indy 500, one spot ahead of Marco Andretti. The, the you're talking about a and it's a very legitimate question of is Meyer Shank out kicking their coverage at this point? And I, I don't think it's necessarily the wrong thing to say that Shank is outperforming Andretti right now. And if you look at the highest Andretti finisher, it was Colton Herta in 16th. So you've got Colton in, six, in 16, the Meyer Shank car 18, and then Marco in his one ride of the year in 19th, and then what, Hinch in 21st? And 
putter right yeah, at 20 yeah, seconds. Now, I, I will say this. Let's let's not sometimes like sometimes the sti- I say sometimes the statistics lie because Colton Herta did not have a 16th place car. Colton Herta was at the front of the field for a large part of that race. And ultimately it was the second caution caused by Graham Rahal's issue coming off a of pit road that really caught Colton Herta out, but it allowed the finish that we saw, which can we go down to it and say the closest finish was a couple of hundredths of a second, a couple thousandths of a second. We had five cars cross the start finish line basically within one second of each other at the end of 500 miles. That Indy 500 was one of the best races I have ever seen from top to bottom. We'll we'll run our mouths about how great 92 was. Little Al beat Scott Goodyear by just a few hundredths of a second. The 1992 Indy 500 was one of the worst races on record. More drivers taken to Methodist Hospital than any other Indy 500. And we call it one of the best because the finish was incredible. The race is about more than the finish. We never saw the top five, even during pit stop cycle where the top five was separated by more than a second to a second and a half. Bueller. No, I'm going Bueller. back and clicking through. Uh, I'm clicking <laughs> through the tithing right now. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Without, with the exception of pit stops, the top, you know, top guys were all right there. It was, you know, to, to James's point earlier, it was like watching a race from the DW12 era and the and the spec era and the uh, manufacturer era kits. That just... I it really we haven't heard but from James without... in a while here. It, let's 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 transition the conversation here because we are going to have to to quit recording here eventually. Let's pivot to what indie means for all of us jason you were sharing the pictures with us of your house for indianapolis race day i'll have to take some pictures of mine because it's still up but i believe we had a virgin yes mr watson yeah it was the whole weekend was just incredible because, like I said, I had more races watched than hours slept. My weekend started off with getting up at 7 in the morning as a late executive decision to go, hey, since Carb Night Classic got postponed because of the completely whack Midwestern weather striking again, and it's like, hey, let's go. Let's drive down a little earlier and try to watch that and i was like oh okay that's cool the main issue for me was i hadn't woken up that early in who knows how long (laughs) and i'm like yeah i'm not gonna be able to adjust my sleeping schedule that fast so i attempted to sleep emphasis on the attempted okay so yeah let's let's jump in here carb night classic indy pro 2000 usf 2000 even as terrible as the broadcasts were, and Jason and I have gone back and forth about this a lot, but 
how unreal were was the racing at IRP? I, I know it's called something else now, but Indianapolis Raceway Park put on three green to checkered shows for Indy Pro 2000, USF 2000, and the USAC Midgets. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. There was so much top-tier driving going on. No stupid moves, no shenanigans, no nonsense, just really good, hard, and clean racing. And the finish of that PM18 race was unreal. Unreal finish. I, I like those are some shows outside of IndyCar and the okay can, can we uh, talk about the fact that the leaders were hooked together for a half a lap <laughs> yeah I couldn't believe that I I saw the smoke and I'm like am I smoking something like how are they I'm like are they that close how is there no carbon fiber or pieces of wheel flying in the air I could not believe that they got stuck unstuck and still maintain their positions and immediately went back into that that knockdown drag out battle like and and the the midget race even though that was caution free too it was still fun just watching those tiny ass cars just manhandle that track it was a lot of fun even though i was suffering in the 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 weather cuz it was cold at IRP, and I, as a native Californian, I, I've been out here for almost five years, and I will still never be able to properly get used to the weather. I had two sweaters on and a jacket, and I was still suffering, like blowing, using my mask more so as a heater than personal protection. I'm just blowing into it feeding off my own hot air and just trying to keep warm as best as I could. And despite all that, I still had a blast watching that race. And so then we turned over to the little 500 and the whole time me and Patrick are looking at each other like, this is going to be a disaster. We're going to see carnage. How are they going to get 33 sprint cars, three wide on this tiny ass track without massive death and chaos? And somehow they got through the first 30 laps without any incident. And we were just like, how is this possible? How were they not wrecking? How is this not like the start of the NRN Little 500? We could not believe the level of clean racing we were watching. There were really no massive amounts of chaos in the Little 500. Yeah, there were some, some crashes, some issues, but... It was just really great driving from everyone. You know, you, you felt a little bad for Cody not being able to pull off the three-peat, but it was an unreal day from him nonetheless to completely destroy everyone for two, almost three whole big-name races. Hey, can we okay? We we talked about guys that need a couple of wheelbarrows to carry their balls around with them. Can we talk about why Cody Swanson is not running the Indy 500? Yeah, dude needs a, a, a shot. It, it, clearly, he knows what to do behind the wheel of an open wheel race car. I mean, heck, he even hopped in 
and won last year's Carb Night Classic in, I believe it was the, the USF 2000, right? Mm-hmm. So I, how is... <laughs> How do you not give that guy a ride? He what more does he have to show people uh, to show? Jason, Jason, you're you're the you're the guy who helps us come up with the money here. Can we put <laughs> how do we how do we put together a crowdfunded run for the Indy 500 for Cody Swanson next year? All Cody, right, well, we got 364 days to do it. Yes, here. let's because let's let's get it, it Cody Swanson be the most teamed up. Ryan Clawson thing, yes, of all time to figure out a way to get Swanson in a ride for the 500. It, I, like, don't get me wrong, I love RC Enerson, but if if Enerson can get a ride with Top Gun, there's absolutely zero reason why we can't start a crowdfunded effort to get Swanson a ride in a one-off. Particularly next can, year, where can we give, last year of the chassis. Yes, let's let's can, start. Can it. Like, we let's, let's can, yes, know, let's go. Awesome. Let's actually go. Let's email email. Okay, let's, let's start. It. Let's start the email here. Um, email Cody K O D Y at nationalracingnetwork.com. We let's let's go. We are crowdfunding Cody Swanson a ride for next year's Indy Five Hundred. Because the guy is an absolute badass. I don't care if it's Peretta, Top Gun. He needs a ride. There would not be a better story than the Top Gun Racing Shops, which is basically the Grant King Shops that so many 500 cars came out of. Having Cody Swanson behind the wheel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's go. I'm in for a thousand. Cody. Putting it right, right now. Let's go. Let's go. So we're a grand deep already. Let's get Cody Swanson in next year's Indy 500 because the dude is absolutely epic. Now, let's let's shift gears a little bit here because we are going to have to kill this podcast at some point. We uh, may have just killed it by making that. Uh, no, no. I, something, something tells me that when we start tagging people, this may happen. I all all we got to do is get Tim Clawson on board, and let's could you? Oh man! See now I got wheels spinning. All right, let's do this, James. I would like to come to you last on this because let's transition now that we're through the month of May. We talked a little bit about what May means to us each individually. Um, Mike, but I would like to come back to you to start this. We've, we've been through another month of May. We have seen everything that there is to be about the month of May. We witnessed hit history yesterday. For the second time in my lifetime, we have seen a four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 the most exclusive of exclusive groups of humans on the planet. Reflecting on the month, what does May mean to you? It, so again, right, you know, as I've said in the past that I don't have a ton of background in, in IndyCar. I only started watching it like <laughs> five years ago, five, six years ago. And 
May for me has evolved, right? It was, you know, I decided in 2016 that I was going to start watching Formula One and IndyCar. And I got up and I watched Monaco and I watched IndyCar. And I watched the 500 and I was like, this is great. This is fun. And I did that every year. And then this year, you know, we're still coming out of the pandemic. Things are a little weird, but we come in and what do we have? We have a first time winner at the, at the GP. We've got Scott Dixon winning the poll, right? So we're like, oh, back to, you know, back to Dixon <laughs> winning again. You know, cool. He's going to go get his, he's going to go get his second, but he's going to take run away with the championship. And we end up from in the span of an hour going from, well, Dixon's getting his second and running away with the championship to holy shit. We just watched history. And that is, you know, that can, you know, may can make or break somebody's year. It can make or break somebody's career. Passiona was out at Penske, goes and wins the 500. He gets re-signed again. You know, power, you know, well, Willie or won't he at Penske? Goes and wins the 500. Puts a mark on a career. So May is, it's what defines the rest of the year. And I know that, you know, to our earlier conversation, there's a lot of racing to go. There's a championship still to be decided, but we are going to talk about Elio Castroneves winning number four. And what does that mean for him? And what does that mean for Meyer Shank for the rest of the year? It is what defines the season. It is what defines Indy. And it, it's, you can't place it. Every IndyCar fan is going to know where they were and what they were doing when Elio won his fourth and who they were watching it with and, you know, what the circumstances were. And we all watched history and it's where history gets made, right? We can, I think all of us can probably recite 500 winners back. Uh, I don't know. You know, as long as we've been watching, every one of us can probably name off who's won the 500. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's May. It's right. It's, it's where history gets made is where champions get, get made and where legends are made to, you know, Mario Andretti kissed the head of Elio Castroneves yesterday. If there is nothing more iconic and memorable was Elio walking to pit wall, bending down and having Mario kiss his head. Come on. The Godfather. The that's Godfather. May. That is May right I, there. That's that's everything. And I, Tony, Tony, let's come to you next here because Mike cap encapsulated the month very nicely. But I I still get this semblance that we don't know what indie means. As much as we're all a bunch of nutcases about this, something tells me that you have something cool to add to this too. You're reading way too deep into a puddle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh no, I mean I watched the five hundred. This is probably my first time watching a full five hundred. Like last year when I watched Takuma Sato take it, you know, I watched from like the halfway mark in. Like it wasn't something that I um it wasn't something I gripped, and like this year, I made a made a point to be like, all right, I'm gonna watch the full 500. I want to understand what these guys are, you know, going batshit crazy for. I want to understand like why this is such a big deal. And I think it was more of, and you know, watching the race was great, but watching the fans, like that's kind of where I was at. 
watching how people were and how they acted and how they responded while they were in the stands. And that really gave me kind of an insight. Like these people, like this is, and I think it was the promo prior to the start of the broadcast is like, this is anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, all rolled into one for some of these people. And like, this is like their yearly, like, this is what we're excited. This is, this is what we wait for year after year. Um, and I kind of try to put myself in that mindset while I watch the race and I get it. I think I get it. It's like a light. It's like a very small flame that I, I get why people get excited about the 500. Now it's just kind of one of those things like, all right, well now I need to, I'm looking forward to the 500 next year. Cause I want to know like, who's, you know, who's really going to, who's going to take it. Who's going to be, you know, in, in competition for it. So now it's growing with me, you know, that's kind of one of those things. This is really only my third year watching IndyCar second year, even glimpsing the 500. Um, so I have to say like, it's, it's, it's interesting. Somebody growing up, not who didn't grow up with it, I guess. And looking at people who did and who were at the track. Um, and it definitely is a difference from last year. Obviously you didn't have anybody at the track, but watching the fans, that's what really made it for me. I, that was watching driver intros was pretty cool because I, I could look at my kids and say, this guy's going to get a big roar and this guy's going to get a, oh, oh, Ed Carpenter's coming up. Listen to the crowd. And you could hear the crowd start to lose their minds when they called Ed Carpenter. Jason, let's come to you next. Uh, and James, I'm going to give my take here before we get to you as someone who was at the race, but Jason, what, what does may mean to you? I mean, you have Ed Carpenter's wings sitting his front wing from a second place finish sitting over your shoulder. So, you know, I, I was born downtown and live. 38 of my 40 years within a 15 mile radius of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, <clears throat> my parents took me for my fifth birthday to poll day in 1986. Um, and at that point, Indy didn't mean enough to me because it's so loud and we didn't have hearing protection. I the track. Um, one of the, uh, less than stellar memories <laughs> that I have. Probably the only negative memory that from uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But, you know, I, I've lived a significant portion of my life within several miles of the Speedway. Uh, lived in Speedway for a few years where, where I could walk to the track. I've had incredible memories with my father, my family, and now my son, both either at the Speedway or around the events that take place at Speedway. You know, everything from IndyCar, NASCAR, sports cars. Heck, my son and I have phenomenal memories of going seeing Red Bull, Red Bull Air Race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Like, it is truly hollowed ground where I hope to one day have some of my ashes spread, right? Like, it, it, is, it is no small... It's not an overstatement to say that Indianapolis Motor Speedway is a parcel of ground on this ball of dirt that's orbiting our sun that is significant. 
my family. And to be able to spend yesterday, I didn't go to the track, um, but to be able to spend yesterday with my friends and family, watching the race, food, fun, fellowship, and having kind of a, a first experience of everything is kind of back to normal that we haven't felt in my goodness a year and a half is an incredible experience and to be able to also have historical feats like elio getting his fourth um seeing the fastest race the fewest cautions everything that went into that race yesterday and to be able to say that I got to experience it with my wife and my son and my parents and our family all hanging out together watching the race. It's it's a testament to the people that thought, let's build a uh, chipped stone and toroid oval-ish square 110 years ago. And let's build it out of some cornfields and trees west of Indianapolis. And now it is the focal point for friends and family to make memories that are lasting and build bonds between people. And it is, I mean, I, I, I talk a lot, but I'm also at a loss for words. It, it's an incredible thing to know that hell we're talking about this thing <laughs> right in a day where there's no short things to talk about we're we're spending um bits and bytes and untold minutes uh covering a a place and a thing that has meant so much that the roar of the crowd for someone who was a racing driver for another country to come loved by the northernmost southern state in such a manner that he would never have to pay his own bar tab again the rest of his life in central Indiana is an otherworldly <laughs> thing. And I'm so fortunate to be a part of it and to even tangentially be a part of it and to know and be able to share and experience it with my son, right? Like, cause that's what it comes down to. And I'm totally rambling now, but it, it was an incredible, incredible experience yesterday. I, I was going to go after Jason, but James, I, I would like to get your follow-up here uh, because there are so many things that when somebody introduces it, when you meet somebody at the track, it's, Hey, I'm so-and-so it's my 19th. Hey, I'm so-and-so it's my 47th. We have, we get to talk to a guy here today who you forever get to say at a minimum, my name's James Watson. This was my first. What are your reflections on the day yesterday and the entire month of May? It it was just unreal. You know, I've I've been around racing all my life. I've 
uh, I've been watching IndyCar religiously and following the Indianapolis 500 for almost 15 years now, far more than half my life. And so there's everyone loves to say, ask, what does Indy mean? Indy means everything. There is no single greater race in all of motorsports. Like I've been, I've been around Monaco. I've seen. I've been around Le Mans. I've been around Daytona a lot longer than I have IndyCar. But there's just no. The the feelings you get from those races are nothing compared to what you feel from the Indianapolis 500. There's just something about that race, everything about it and everything about the month of May that just blows any other race out of the water. It's 100% accurate when they say it's the greatest spectacle in racing. And walking through the front gates and walking into the track, you immediately get punched in the face of all the history surrounding this place and the meaning behind it and when you're watching the cars take the track and grid up three wide you know you're witnessing something special and so and when the the race goes through and it gets to the end you feel the tension like i've i've always felt the, the tension at home watching it but it's just even more, it, it, it's just multiplied by a thousand being there and f- getting the feeling that you're about to witness something. History will never be the same after what happens these final 20 laps. And getting to be right there and having the crowd go nuts with Helio, and like what Jason said, a, a Brazilian. Uh, and someone not American and having an entire crowd of of Americans completely go nuts. It, it was a special feeling. And I was right there. I've already mentioned how much Helio means to me. You know, my driver completely blew his shot in completely embarrassing fashion. And I couldn't care less. I'm standing there screaming my head off for wanting Helio to bring home the fourth after all this time and all of his struggles, wanting him to finally get it. And having feeling the crowd erupt when he took it, it, there's no, there's nothing that can even come close to that feeling and the goosebumps and being able to participate in uh, the Helio chant that wrapped around the entire track. There is just absolutely nothing like being at the Indianapolis 500. There's no other race, no other sporting event that can come close to the feeling of the Indianapolis 500. I, I'm sitting here having to potentially... There must be somebody cutting onions nearby because I'm, I'm not emotional about this. You guys are, I promise. But I, I, 
yesterday I learned what May and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway mean to me. I am 38 years old. I grew up with every Memorial Day weekend revolved around the Indianapolis 500. I thought I knew what Indy means. I swore to myself after a certain point, once I started working in the racing industry, that I said, I'm not going to a 500 until I can cover it until I can be standing on the grid when Jim Cornelison belts out the last note of back home again in Indiana. I, I wanted that experience for me. And yesterday I, I, I learned what all of that means. And, and honest to God, I thought I knew. But yesterday for the first time, I could get my kids to understand why we go silent during the rifle volley and during taps. A six-year-old and a nine-year-old that live on electronics and all of the, the modern-day conveniences and all the crap with it we have, my kids went quiet for three minutes along with 135,000 of their brothers and sisters. My proudest moment as a father so far has been my kids understanding why I say we go quiet before the race. We went to the Memorial Day Parade in my hometown today. The home of Langhorn Speedway a place that A.J. Foyt and Bobby Unser were afraid to run. They ran it because that's what you did. But that place scared the hell out of these guys. And my kids went quiet when they played our national anthem and when they played taps before the parade today. As a father, my only wish for my kids is to understand what others have given so they can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. The guy who was my fire chief would always crap on everybody about blaring sirens and horns during the Memorial Day parade because it's supposed to be a solemn thing. I always felt this after the ceremonies, after you get through the, the stuff at the beginning, we should be celebrating the Memorial Day weekend. Because it's our duty to be loud and proud and as unapologetically American as we can be. Because there's hundreds of thousands of people lying in the ground. Because they gave us the ability to stand here and do this today. The crowd yesterday at the Speedway restored my faith in humanity. I saw people of every race, color, creed going silent during the rendering of taps. You could have heard a pin drop around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway yesterday. And I saw 135 people go absolutely apeshit when Jim Cornelson got to the last note of Back Home Again in Indiana. 
it felt like we were all back home again. We were where we needed to be. I I want to offer a hearty salute and a big toast to everybody that was in attendance yesterday because you did us all proud. We saw a fantastic race. We saw the single largest gathering of humanity in the last 18 months. And y'all done it well. You people were losing your minds when Elio took the lead with two to go. And you did not leave. You did not shut up until well after the checkered flag. There is nothing better in the world than all of us as a racing community willing a champion to victory. And that's what we got to do yesterday. We, we've seen many that have not had the chance. Rich Vogler should have had a shot to win the Indy 500. Brian Clawson should have had a shot to win the Indy 500. And instead, we got a Brazilian kid at 46 years old, 47, whatever the hell he is, years old, who has more energy than I could ever dream of having. He, he took us all back home again yesterday. And the only part of yesterday's event that makes me the slightest bit sad is I have to wait 364 more days to see it again. But I hey, no longer, man. I am no longer going to the Indy 500 for me. I'm going to the Indy 500 and I'm bringing my kids along. I don't want to work it. I don't want to stand on the grid. I want to bring my kids and I want them to know what the largest gathering of humanity for the world's biggest party actually looks like. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of pizza at the pagoda. This one's been fun. I can't believe we've been talking this long, but. For Mike McCullen, Tony Patty. Oh, wait, hold on. Actually, hold on. Before we go here, gentlemen, we do have to review our picks to win. Only because y'all are losers. James had willpower. Yeah, totally. So am I a loser if I didn't pick? Uh, yeah, you're the biggest loser of the week. Next to Jason, because he didn't show up last week. Um, so yeah, Jason didn't. Owens is the biggest loser. Tony Patty didn't show up, so he doesn't get a pick either. Hey, Chris, before we say I'm the biggest loser, I totally picked Ed Carpenter both, you know, because I wanted to win, but I was. But. You're still a big loser because you weren't here last week. So, James Watson. (laughs) But but my wife and son had. (laughs) So, it can't be that big of a loser. Yeah, you're pretty big. All right, James Watson last week picked Will Power to win the Indy 500. He finished in the 30th position. 
31, uh, no, I'm sorry, three laps down. You were not the winner. Mike picks Simon Pagano. Simon Pagano finished third. Mike McCullen, you're the winner of the week. I'm going to be honest. Simon was my anchovy. I picked Tony Cannon to win. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you. Oh, yes. You picked Tony Cannon to win. He finished 10. I picked the wrong old much, Brazilian. I picked much more respect for you. Uh, yes, I. you just earned a lot of respect because I was about to cheer you up and down the block because that makes me the winner of the week. Selecting Ed Carpenter as my winner of the Indy 500 coming home in the fifth position. If you had flipped I mean, Kanan and Pagano, I might have cheered for you, but now you're a big loser still. I mean, you could have gone with my default pick, which is always, at this point, McLaren Pato Award. You still would have been the loser. Because you weren't here. You know what? I'll take it. And, and you and you, you, pick, they... you pick Santino Ferrucci in the Grand Prix of Indy. <laughs> so that will be your default pick from now on. Santino Ferrucci is just your pick. Oh, geez. The, the <laughs> good thing is, is that we didn't have to devote part of this podcast to talking about Detroit because it's not next weekend. It's actually the second weekend in June. So we got to come back next week and we got a whole host of stuff to talk about going into Detroit. Oh, do we have to talk about Detroit? Can't yeah. we just kind of skip it? I mean, like, they're going to race. As long as I don't got to go there. <laughs> Freaking mission. Yes. Don't ever put me in that. Yes. Place. There's a reason I'm leaving in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you really, Mike's trying to Driver, get the hell out of Michigan. You live out of Michigan. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, we will Driver come back to your cars. <laughs> yeah. Street stocks line them up. All right. We will come back next week with uh, a preview of the Chevrolet duel at Detroit, whatever the hell they're calling the two races in Detroit, Michigan. Um, yeah, we, we talked a whole lot of Indy 500. This one was a ton of fun tonight. But until next week, for James Watson, Jason Owens, Mike McCullen, Tony Patty, my name is Chris Graham. It is a pleasure to have you talking with us here. You're listening to the Pizza at the Pagoda podcast. Hopefully we didn't suck this week, or at least we'll try not to. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good week, everybody.